I'm so excited to be here today and I'm not alone. I have my awesome guest, Allison, who we got connected with on Instagram and we, I sent her a message, wish you well podcast. And I really wanted to just connect with her and bring her story to you guys for a number of reasons, but starting out with why. So Allison, she is a crisis worker, freelance tour guide, world traveler, and host of the wishing you well podcast. And she really likes talking about the stigma related to bipolar, how to go about ending that and to really be able to live the best possible life, regardless of having the diagnosis, struggling with it and what tools we can have to really overcome these different conversations with getting into this. So Allison, thank you so much for popping on. I can't wait to get into your story. Ah, Paris, thank you so much for having me. It means the world. I'm so excited to share this space and to just get to hang out with you and your audience for a little while. I have really been looking forward to this interview because it's kind of like you said, bipolar is something I'm very, very passionate about. I've been an advocate for as long as I've had my diagnosis, probably a little bit before then. And my main goal and my mission in this life is to show people that your diagnosis does not define you. You are still capable of having a magical, creative, stable, fulfilling, abundant life. And all it takes is a little extra work and a little extra self-awareness and you got it. And so that's my whole platform. That's what I'm all about. And the Wishing You Wellness podcast, it was born back in January of 2021. I was kind of at rock bottom struggling a lot with my addiction, struggling with my bipolar and my BPD symptoms and just not doing too well. And so I thought to myself, you know, I really need an outlet. I need someone or somewhere to put these thoughts out into the world so they don't feel like they're just sitting inside of me. And so I really started to channel my pain and my like struggles and turn that into my purpose. And so I started the wishing you wellness podcast and it's basically a podcast where I come on every week and I get so transparent. I talk about my addiction with benzos that I went through. I talk about PTSD. I talk about sexual trauma. I talk about bipolar and I just try to talk about all of those things that we're told not to speak about because when we tell people not to speak about these things, we're making help so inaccessible, right? The more we normalize, the easier it is for people to get help and to get the treatment that they need and deserve. Oh my gosh. Speaking about the unspeakable, we tell ourselves not to talk about the past or our diagnosis or struggles with it or different things with sexual trauma, abuse, and really what that looks like. And I love what you've done having an outlet in January of 2021, launching the Wishy Wellness podcast, creating that space, getting into these topics and really seeing what that has done for you to just not just talk about it but connect with other people because that's how I found you and how I got connected. And I said, look at, look at this girl, like look at what she's doing. And just, I really want to be able to hear that. And especially seeing that you're so open about bipolar, about BPD, and then even talking about addiction. I really loved being able to have this connection, like talk about how you got into this space and how did you start with getting into advocacy before your diagnosis? Like talk to me about that period. Yeah, so I would say that I just became a mental health advocate at a really young age because I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew something was very wrong. From a young age, I had these delusions where like I would hear people saying things that they weren't really saying or I would like see something like a shadow that wasn't there and I just got really depressed. I just knew something wasn't right. And I looked around me at other people and I thought I can't be the only one feeling this way, right? There's got to be other people going through this. And so even before I knew I was bipolar, I was a very big advocate for just like 
being kind to people and just understanding that we are all going through some stuff. And that's why it's so important to be kind and graceful. And I won't lie to you, when I was unhealed, when I was going like right before I got my bipolar diagnosis, I was a pretty toxic friend and human because I was just so unhealed and just projecting all of my issues onto anyone who was around. But those changes that I made turned me into a super advocate. And now I'm able to see both sides of the coin. I see what it's like to be abusive, not necessarily on purpose, not meaning to be manipulative, but doing it as a trauma response. And now I can see the other side of the coin where you can heal from that and you can learn coping skills and strategies that support healthy friendships and relationships with yourself, with others, instead of the negativity. So I'd love to ask you, because you mentioned something about the changes to become the advocate that you are now. So what did those changes look like? What did you have to change? I changed everything. I looked in the mirror and I said, the person I am right now is jealous and vindictive and resentful. And I love this person. I see that she's unhealed, but this is not who I'm going to live my life as. So I began making massive changes. The first thing I did, I looked at my circle. I took a very good look at my circle. I said, who is lifting me up? Who is encouraging bad habits? Then I took a look at myself and I said, do I lift people up or do I bring people down? And so that self-awareness became such a huge thing for me. I dove into personal development books and podcasts and workbooks. I did a workbook on overcoming borderline personality disorder traits. And I really threw myself into this personal development because I knew it was important if I was going to have the life that I dreamt about. I also really had to take a good look at my habits and my lifestyle because when you are living day to day for the thrill, it's not sustainable. You have to live in a way that supports your future. And that means drinking the water. That means taking those vitamins. That means stretching. That means doing those things that don't always feel as good as TV and ice cream, but really set you up to be in a better position. And so a lot of those changes happen from literally just changing like the tiny little aspects of your life. And I also like to say, just change the way that you vibrate. When I used to walk into a room, I would look around, I would get all paranoid. I'd be like, everyone's looking at me or I'm jealous or I'm jealous. And I literally just had this mindset swap one day. And I was like, no more of that. From now on, when I walk into a room, I'm going to assume that everyone's nice and I'm going to assume that everyone is good. And I'm going to assume that everyone is thinking nice things about my outfit because whether or not I'm paranoid and thinking they're talking about me or assuming they're talking about my outfit, it makes no difference. So why not choose the one that's going to make me feel good, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. I just feel like I was listening to myself in a way. Talk about just hearing you get into all of those pieces, looking at your circle. And you guys, I'm always writing things down just so I make sure not to miss anything that Allison just brought to the table for us. So looking at your circle, right? Then looking at yourself and getting into personal development, but then changing how you look at the world when you walk into the room, especially when you mentioned walking into a room and thinking, okay, everyone is against me or they're looking at me because there's something's wrong. That's really how I would think into every room. So when you said you started getting into all of those things that made you want to switch that, I feel like it's huge because I feel like a lot of the things that keep us stuck are things that we have taught ourselves or told ourselves to be true. So I'd love to get into when did you get the diagnosis? I know we were talking a little bit before this and you said 12 years ago. So talk to me about when you got the diagnosis, what were you thinking? So the first time I was told that I was suspected bipolar was about 10 to 12 years ago. 
After that, I went back and forth through a couple different psychiatrists who were giving me diagnoses all over the board. And it's very common in the mental health field. It's very hard to nail down these symptoms because so many of them run so closely together. For example, bipolar and BPD, there are a lot of similarities, but there are also key differences. And there's also a 33% overlap. And so for the longest time, the doctors just kept saying, you know, we know something is wrong. We're not positive what it is. And then finally, I got my like, true blue official full diagnosis a year ago. And they were like, all right, listen, you have bipolar type one, which was a big shock for me. I always assumed I had type two, which is the less severe. It's the hypomania. It's still very serious, but it's not psychosis. And it's not as related to schizophrenia. And so hearing out loud that I had bipolar one was a shock to my system. And then to have them go on and say, you know, we also see borderline. We also see avoidant personality disorder. We also see some agoraphobia and some OCD. And just to hear these things listed out about yourself is very much a shell shock at first because you're like, wow, I'm really being put into this box with these labels. But then here's the thing. You have the power from that point on. So you can either sit there and be like, woe is me. I have so many diagnoses. My life sucks. Or you can be like, guess what? I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be a thought leader for all of these people with these different diagnoses that resonate with me. And I'm going to show them what is possible. Just because I have episodes of psychosis every once in a while does not mean I can't travel the world, hold a job, hold relationships, make friendships, make memories, make money, live my life. And I want to show people you don't have to live in shame. You don't have to be so, so ashamed of your diagnosis because there's nothing wrong with you. Like you are inherently so worthy. And I work for a suicide prevention hotline and I get calls and people will be like, you know, I'm bipolar and what the hell is wrong with me? And I always say the same thing. You were born perfect. You were born perfect. This ailment, this thing that you were dealing with is a part of your story. And I know it's hard and I'm so sorry that it's hard. And I'm sorry that you have to fight this battle but it is ultimately going to make up your story and it's going to make you who you are. And I believe that everything does happen for a reason. And even though my bipolar isn't always fun and it's kicked my ass more times than I can count, it's made me who I am. And it's put me in a position where I can have a podcast and a coaching business where I help other women who struggle with their mental health. Oh my gosh. I really love how you've completely flipped the narrative that I feel like we first get when we get the diagnosis where you're hit with that and then getting into, okay, well, it's bipolar one, then avoidant personality, agoraphobia, and then aspects of borderline. And you're like, what? Like, I didn't think it was this. And then that was how I felt too when I was diagnosed with bipolar one myself too. So I remember really taking it to heart and thinking that I couldn't talk about different things because of that label. Like you said, feeling boxed in by that. So I love that you mentioned really being that voice to help other people. And especially I love the thing that you bring up of you can either live in the woe is me mentality or I'm going to be a thought leader and I'm going to try to get around other people and see what they're doing, what's working and just get it, get into that kind of an environment. So what was it like for you when you started to transition out of the mindset that that this is shameful and you can't come out of it to where you are now. For me, I did a lot of research. I literally remember sitting at my desk one day Googling, what are the benefits of being bipolar? Because I remember sitting there and I was like, there's no way in hell that the universe just dealt me this shitty hand and I don't get anything out of it. And as soon as I Googled it, up pops 
boosted creativity, boosted empathy, like the ability to feel higher than most people, the ability to understand emotions. And it made sense because my whole life I've been a creative. I have been a podcaster. I wrote two books when I was 16 and manic as hell. Like I've always been a performer and a creator and a storyteller and energetic. And so when I shifted my mindset from holy shit, I'm a crazy up and down bipolar girl to you know, I'm just someone with a little extra spice. I'm someone who takes some pills that keep me regular, but I just have a little extra spice. And if I wasn't bipolar, maybe I wouldn't be this fun, eccentric, outgoing, like crazy dressed person. And so I wouldn't change that about myself. And I think flipping that narrative to like recognizing bipolar isn't something that's going to go away. It's not like BPD where your symptoms can go into remission. You're always going to have bipolar. And so all you can do is accept it. So why not accept it with like big loving arms? Like give yourself, if you're listening right now and you're bipolar, give yourself a fucking hug right now. Give yourself a big hug because what you're doing isn't easy, but you're doing it. And do you know how amazing that is? I love that so much. And especially acknowledging the fact of how far you've come and just overcoming the challenges, the obstacles, the difficulties, and really being able, like you said, to look at what are the good traits, right? Would I not be this insightful to myself or interested in learning about this or doing the research if I didn't get a diagnosis? I would have never known that the things that I was doing were wrong because we live in a society where we normalize things like casual abuse and narcissism and being Mm -hmm. rude and being inconsiderate. We normalize these things. And so I was so asleep until I had that like awakening of like, oh goodness, this is like actually a mental health condition. And this is something that I can address and work on so that I can be better for the people around me and for myself, because we all deserve that. And also I had a question for you if you're down for a question. Yes. So I, I always wonder with other people with bipolar, do you feel like you have the need to disclose to people that you're bipolar? How do you tell who you want to tell How do you tell who does not deserve to know? How do you tell people? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So I love that you bring that up because that's something that I remember I used to struggle with a lot. And I was like, I'm never going to talk about this. I'm never going to be open. And pretty similar to you, right? There would be no podcast. There'd be no book. There'd be no coaching. There'd be none of this stuff because we didn't do the work. And I feel like for me, starting that healing journey started with really getting awareness of it. And then doing research, reading other people's memoirs, listening to other podcasts. So for me now, it's complete opposite. You know, I'm very open about it. I talk about it even at work. And I've had people stop me, you know, sometimes when I go into the office and be like, hey, you know, I heard you had a podcast, like, or I had you heard you wrote this book, like, what's it about? And I used to be so afraid, like, what if someone asked me about this and I have to glaze over it? But now I'm like, no, it's called Live Well Bipolar. And, you know, the book's called Crooked Illness. And I get into my experience with bipolar and going from, being hospitalized and going back and working at the same exact hospital and just really sharing what's helped. So, and I mean, I've even had people reach out to me, you know, who are like, oh, my mom was diagnosed with this or my brother, or I'm really struggling with anxiety. So I had to learn to become that way. And and what I did was instead of taking the other person's reaction or response back is a personal thing towards me. I look at it in a way of they've had someone in their life that they felt like they weren't able to connect with their help or that they've gone through a loss or lost somebody. And 
you know, me bringing this up is bringing something up in them. So I don't take it that way anymore, but I know it's hard to when you're trying to be vulnerable and then you get some, a response that it's like, let's change the topic. So that's kind of what I do. So I'd love to hear about you. I just can't tell you how many times people have come to me and been like, Allison, I don't know what to do. There's someone in my life who I love deeply, who is bipolar, who is refusing help. What do I do? And they come to me and they're like, you seem so put together. Like you seem like you really have it under control. And I'm always transparent. I'm like, Look, we all get on Instagram. We all put on this face, but I still have bad days where I cry my eyes out. I still have days where I wonder if life's worth living, but like at the same time, I've been doing the work to change. And so when people come to me and they're like, Allison, what do I do? I love somebody with bipolar. I do kind of give the advice that it's, it's tough love and not everybody's going to resonate with this, but in order for somebody to be ready for help, they got to hit some kind of rock bottom. It doesn't have to be losing your car. It doesn't have to be losing your husband or wife. It doesn't have to be huge, but you have to lose something or have some kind of awakening or realization in order for you to be like, okay, yes, I want to make these changes. I want to show up better. And so, yeah, I think that uh, when people come to me and are like, shit, Allison, what do I do? Like, you know, I really care about my brother, but like he won't get help. I'm always like, look, you got to be compassionate with yourself too, right? Because we get so caught up in taking care of the other person and making sure they're okay that we forget that being bipolar is tough on the family too. Being bipolar is tough on the person with the diagnosis. It's tough on the family. It's tough on the loved ones and it's nobody's fault, but it is tough on all of us. Wow. I love that you bring that up, especially the piece of having the compassion, having that moment of hitting rock bottom and losing something in a way and just being there to listen because sometimes I know it's hard to even feel like no one even wants to listen or not going to bed thinking you failed and you're responsible for this because you know we both know from our experience, I know when I was younger, I was very lucky to have had therapy from a young age, but not taking it seriously, not feeling comfortable opening up about sexual trauma, trauma within the family, trauma from past relationships, and just really glazing over it and just, you know, not being willing to do it. So it is, it comes down to part wanting to do the work and really recognizing that nothing is wrong with you because you, even if you don't have a diagnosis yet, or you've never had a diagnosis, but recognizing something isn't right and not faulting yourself for that. Because at the end of the day, we all have something, right? Whether it's a bipolar diagnosis or a struggle with, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, a lot of changes in our life, uh, you know, things that we've gone through and lost or things that we're trying to, you know, navigate better. We all have something. So realizing that at the end of the day too. And the one thing I really want to ask you too, is when you hear like about, so the podcast, right? So live well bipolar, when you first hear that live well bipolar, what does that mean to you? I think that it's taking the bipolar diagnosis and refusing to let it define you. I think it's saying I'm still going to live my life just like anybody else. This is a part of me. This is not who I am. This is not like the epitome of my essence or my soul. And I can still live a very healthy, physically, emotionally, spiritually well life. Yeah. And see, that's really what it comes down to is like, like you said, going back to bipolar and the diagnosis and not letting that be the one thing that crashes all the walls of everything else, you know, and lets you see yourself as something that you can't make progress on. You can't move forward from, but really looking at the parts of your life and saying, I've overcome this situation or I've overcome this challenge and look what you've done in the past. When it comes down to 
what you've been doing. I'd love to get into the travel part. So talk to me about when did you first start getting into traveling and what has that really done for you in terms of helping out with the way you see your mental health? It's taught me a lot about my bipolar. Absolutely. It's taught me the highs and lows. So I lived alone for the first time in Spain when I was 19. I did that for five months. It was a really good time. And then I just got really addicted to country hopping. And so like I bounced around South America. I did a little bit of Asia. I did some of Europe and I really just started to love it. And I realized like how passionate I am about meeting new people, experiencing new cultures. Like I just feel so vibrant and like myself when I'm doing that. It's almost like mania, but like not the bad kind where you're speeding and spending money, but like the good kind where the sun is just brighter. Um, But I will say that the biggest lesson travel has taught me about my mental health is you can't skip a day when it comes to being bipolar. I actually had to fly home two, three days early from a trip that I had done in Europe. I was backpacking with a friend and I had a psychotic break and it cost $3,000 for me to fly home three days early. But I had no option because it was a psychotic break. My phone was broken. Everything was falling to shit. I was suicidal. It was getting scary. And so I realized in that moment, yes, I can travel. I love to travel, but I can't travel without my medication. I can't be drinking every single night. I have to be getting my sleep. There's just little tiny adjustments that you learn to make as somebody with bipolar to make your life more comfortable and more sustainable. Because I don't know, I'm not someone who lives without bipolar, so I can't say for sure. But I feel like people without bipolar, maybe they can go without sleep and be fine. Or maybe they can, you know, not take any meds and be totally cool. And that's great. But for a lot of us, we do need those things to keep us grounded. And I really learned that with traveling. You've got to take care of yourself. Wow. Especially getting into the impact that that's had on you and just being exposed to the different cultures. And I love how you talk about like the relating it to the manic side with being able to explore more of that and have more of the creativity and connect with all of these different people, but then at the same time, not skipping a day with when it comes down to the routine and what you're doing to care for yourself, even if you're somewhere else or in a different, a different area, a different environment, like you said, still being consistent with your medications, your sleep, and then cutting back on the drinking. Cutting back on the drinking was a big thing for me, huge. And staying consistent when it comes down to finding the right medication, finding the right kind of treatment, whatever it is, but just staying on top of that is huge. So I'd love to hear from you. Like when you talk about the adjustments that you've made, what is the biggest one that you've made that has had the most positive impact that you didn't expect? Yep. I would say committing, truly committing to therapy, like truly. And when I say committing to therapy, I don't show up for one hour a week and then go home and forget about it. Like my entire lifestyle is integrated. So I do DBT therapy, which is dialectal behavioral therapy. It's specifically to treat the symptoms of borderline personality disorder and other personality disorders. So Essentially, (laughs) essentially got to come up for some air. I go to therapy once or twice a week with my therapist, but I have a log that I keep. And on this log, every single day, I track my mood and my emotion. I track my motivation to stay in therapy, to stay sober, to stay on my meds. I write down things that happened and I also track my skills. So each week I have three skills that are my target. So for example, this week, I want to gossip less because gossip is bullshit and useless. I want to speak nicer to myself. And what was the third one? 
I can't even remember the third one, probably something to do with saving money. But I then every single day I check in on those goals. And so that's a way to keep your therapy more than just going in for one hour and then forgetting about it. It's a way to like make it actually a part of your lifestyle and see those real tangible changes. Because I'd always been the kind of person who would go to therapy for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm okay. I feel better. Bye. But my psychiatrist this time was like, Allison, if you really want these changes, this you've got to go all in. You've got to commit. And so since April, I have not missed a week. And I do not wow. plan on missing a week again because it has seriously rerouted the direction I was heading in the best way. Oh, my goodness. And I, I love how you bring up the consistency with it because I feel like sometimes we might think, okay, if you go one or two times or whatever it is and then, all right, like I got – you know, I feel good and then kind of go out and then come back. But I love how you talk about having that consistency with it literally since April, which is definitely not an easy thing to do. But then going back to the three skills that you're working on each week. So I love that you're having those goals because sometimes I feel it can get so overwhelming with, you know, a big to-do list of here's all the things I need to do. And then being like, well, I'm not going to do anything now because there's too many and it's too overwhelming. But starting with how you speak to yourself and then kind of keeping track of it and then having that session to be able to check in and say, well, this is how I was speaking to myself this week and this is how I felt. How do you set a boundary and really getting into those things? So I really love that and I really agree with that because that's something that I know is definitely not an easy thing to do. And another reason, like you said, to celebrate yourself for really putting yourself first because even if you don't have a diagnosis of bipolar, we literally covered this today while I was at work talking about well-being and benefits for mindset, meditation, working out and getting into that and realizing that you don't need to have, oh, I'm, I don't have a diagnosis, so I don't really need to make it as much of a priority. Oftentimes, people who struggle the most and have the most difficult times with their mental health, whether it be in crisis or having a hospitalization or going through a lot of periods of uncertainty – learn how to take the best care of themselves through talking like this. What did you do? And what did you put into place? We all have mental health. Like the thing is people think like mental health means mental illness and it's not, we all have a mental health kind of like inner barometer, like based on how well or how great we're doing. And I always like to say, I break it down into three tiers in my mind. There's like crisis mode, which are the people who call me on the hotline. There's survival mode, which is where 90% of us spend 90% of our time. And then there's existing and thriving and being alive. And that's where we're aiming for. That's that presentness. That's that like enlightened state. That's what we strive for. But so many of us get stuck in the survival mode state and it's a very hard state to break out of. No, I love how you just were able to like clarify that and just mention, you know, recognizing where we are, what's going on and just getting clear on this because I feel like that's been the biggest thing that I've been just hearing from you, especially going back to not skipping a day piece of just doing what you're doing to take care of yourself and then figuring out what that looks like, what things that you're needing to do, what things have been helpful and what areas you want to work on. So I'd love to ask you too, before we pop off here, I want to know where can we go to get more of Allison? Woo! My address is no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please don't show up to my house. Um, yeah. So my website is xoxoallisoncoaching.com. There you can find access to a couple of my free masterclasses. You can join my future programs. I will be hosting retreats, so that's a good place to keep an eye out. Or you can find me on Instagram, and that's at wishyouwell.podcast. I'm also on Spotify and Apple. Just type in wishing you wellness. 
and it will pop right up. So come hang out with me, shoot me a DM. I'd love to connect with you guys, get to know you, especially if you're living with bipolar. I am here for you. I'm here to provide support and love. And this has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Paris. This has been an awesome talk. Yes, of course, you guys. And go check her out. I'm going to put all this information in the show notes. And Allison, I feel like I can just keep going on, on and on and on. But I love this conversation. I can't wait to continue more in the future and then just continue just to support each other like we have been. So I want to say thank you for coming out and thank you to you guys for being here and tuning in to this episode. So bye, Allison. And bye, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.